Well, today we're continuing our series called Stand Firm. And we've been talking about spiritual warfare. Maybe that sounds like kind of a weird topic, something that you're not really sure what to think about, but it's a real part of your life. You're all engaged in spiritual warfare. We read in Ephesians chapter six that we have an enemy. It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. There is an enemy who wants to hurt you, to destroy you. And God wants you to be on guard against that and to be ready for that battle. So whether the enemy is right now in your life throwing everything he's got at you, maybe you feel overwhelmed right now, maybe you've been struggling, or maybe you're doing really good. Like, let's be honest, sometimes you say, I feel like I'm on a winning streak right now. Like, I can do no wrong. Either way, you need to know the secret weapon of spiritual warfare. And I'm going to talk to you about it this morning. You want to know. Well, here's the truth. It's not that much of a secret if you actually read your Bible. But you'd think it was a secret based on the number of Christians who fail to use it to its full potential. Right? It'd be crazy to have a powerful weapon available to you that you fail to use. So you need to know the secret weapon of spiritual warfare is worship. Yeah. It's worship. And that's why we're... We're going, to be, we're going to receive some teaching on, on worship from the Word of God this morning, and then you'll have a chance to kind of put these things into practice afterwards. That's why we're doing things a little out of order today. We spend a significant amount of time each week when we gather as a church family singing praise and worship to God. And I like to often as a pastor explain the things we do. I don't assume that everyone just knows what we're doing, why we're doing it. Oftentimes we have people come to church who this is their first time being a part of a church or maybe they haven't been a part of a church in decades or this is very new to them. So I like to explain different aspects of, of why we do what we do. We sing because the Bible literally commands us to sing. Here's what it says in Colossians 3.16. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And then there are many, many other passages in Scripture that say, sing to God, sing praise to God, lift up your voice to God. Again and again, we see this pattern. Worship and singing to God has always been something that God's people do. Going all the way back from now, back through the Old Testament times, the Jewish people, they sang praise to God. And they actually even sing their prayers often to God. They sing scripture. And that's because for many years, people were mostly illiterate. And so singing was a way that putting melody to truth would help you remember it, which we know. That's why we teach our kids the ABCs with a melody to help them remember. So people sang. And then for the early church, this was what they did from the very beginning. This isn't something that we just started doing in the last few years because because we like music. And the earliest extra biblical description of Christianity, one of the earliest, about 112 AD, that was about uh, less than 100 years after, after Jesus and his resurrection, the Roman Pliny the Younger wrote to the emperor of Rome, Trajan, about Christians. He said, the believers were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light when they sang an anthem to Christ as God. This is what Christians do. So, so singing is not, not new. 
When we come together, we sing and worship. That's good. But I also want you to know that this is something you can do every day. Don't wait till you come to church on Sunday to practice praising and worshiping God with your voice. I love to sing praise and worship to God throughout the week. I love to do it. It helps me in my spirit. It builds me up. It edifies us. And honestly, when I come to church on Sundays, I don't get to sing that much as a pastor. It's my sacrifice. I can't sing at the top of my lungs because I have to save my voice for all you. And so I'm like, oh, and then I get to do it during the week and I lose my voice singing in my home. So we sing because Christians have always done it. And we also sing because worship really is your secret weapon in times of trouble. There's a reason why people who are struggling turn to the book of Psalms so frequently. Psalms means songs. In Psalms 86, it says this, O Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry. I will call to you whenever I'm in trouble, and you will answer me. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. With all my heart, I will praise you, O Lord my God. I will give glory to your name forever, for your love for me is very great. You have rescued me from the depths of death. Oh God, insolent people rise up against me. A violent gang is trying to kill me. You mean nothing to them, but you, O oh Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I just wanted to just see a little example that the Psalms, just like the modern songs and hymns that we sing, are, are so real real about hard times, real about struggling. And we see this pattern in the Psalms again and again, where you see just honesty and transparency with God. That's why it's good to be honest about how you're really doing, honest with other Christians, honest with God. And just say, sometimes, God, I feel overwhelmed. God, I feel like, I feel like everyone's against me. I feel outnumbered by the enemy, God. I feel weak. I'm even struggling. My faith is wavering. But then you see in the Psalms this pattern that even when you are overwhelmed, you can declare the truth about God and give him praise. You can say, Lord, you're good. Your mercy endures forever. You never leave me or forsake me. You're my strong tower of refuge, the one I run to in times of trouble. God, when I feel weak, you uphold me with your righteous right hand. You deliver me in the face of my enemies. See, it gives you a reason to recover from the things that have been hurting you and holding you back and keeping you down. You need to learn this secret weapon of spiritual warfare in your life. David, a character in the Old Testament, a real person who existed, he wrote most of the book of Psalms. And maybe if you read the Old Testament, you'll come to see that he was, in fact, one of the mightiest warriors in the Bible. A mighty warrior who led men into battle time and time again, achieved victory over their enemy, even when, when God's people were outnumbered and facing hostile armies. These guys were tough. David was a warrior. He defeated a giant named Goliath, a man who was much bigger and taller than him. Even when he was a boy, he had, a, had just a sling and some stones, and, and he took this giant down, and then the Bible says he took the giant's own sword and cut the dude's head off. That's how you know he wasn't messing around. It's like, Total victory, right? But then what you'll see is this mighty warrior was also a mighty worshiper. Dude wrote songs and played the harp. 
I mean, that's amazing, right? A true warrior poet. Dude slayed giants and he slayed the harp. Right? I mean, he sets the pattern of how to be a warrior and a worshiper. And I think that his example is very important for us. I think David was able to lead men into battle and achieve victory over his physical enemies because he already learns how to work through the battle of spiritual warfare and achieve victory and find strength in God. So we know that worship is important for us. You've got to learn to worship. But maybe you've wondered, well, why, why the music? Why is the singing such a big deal? You know, I, I've met Christians who would say, you know, I, I, I'm cool with the whole singing thing. Don't really love it. But it's okay. I mean, it's fine. I don't really know why everyone's so pumped about it. I'm not one of those types of people. I'm not very musical. You need to understand that God is a God of music. Isn't it interesting that the biggest book in the Bible is a book of songs that God inspired? God loves music so much that he invented it. And God even sings himself. God, it says, sings songs about you. It says in Zephaniah chapter three, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. Look at this. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Man, you've thought about singing to God, I'm sure. But have you thought about God singing to you? I bet he's got a good voice. Maybe you don't always hear it with your ears, your physical ears. I've thought about, though, how, how when we get to heaven, we're going to sing praise to God for all eternity. But maybe we're also going to hear him sing about his love for us. The book of Revelation describes that in the very throne room of God, where he is right now present, there are creatures that worship him consistently from now throughout all eternity, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty but I think they sing it out with passion, right? Yeah. Right, and, and God is gonna be praised in heaven. He wants to be praised. He's a God that loves to sing his, his feelings for you, and he wants you to sing about your love for him. And I think when you think about how God is praised in heaven itself right now, you have to think about this. When you worship God, you bring heaven to earth. Have you thought about this? That we pray as God told, Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what's his will? He wants to be worshiped. And when we worship him on earth, we're doing on earth what God is experiencing in heaven. We're bringing heaven to earth. Your praises, the Bible says, are also heard by God in heaven. Scripture indicates that he can hear your very voice when you praise him. Some of you are like, ooh, sorry about that, God, because <laughs> my voice isn't very good. Right? But it's okay. He doesn't care if you can't sing on key. He loves when you worship him from a sincere and passionate heart. Because you're created in the image of a musical and expressive God who sings you are hardwired for music by design. This is really interesting. Do you realize that we as humans, we naturally write music to the, a rhythm and a pace that falls within the range of our typical heartbeat? 
We naturally write songs that are about 60 to 150 beats a minute, the same range of our heart rate approximately. And MRIs show that that music activates the motor parts of our brain, the parts of our brain that control motor function. So we are actually hardwired to move to music. That's why when the beat starts to drop, you feel your hips start to sway, right? God made you that way. Don't stop yourself, right? It's okay. Sometimes you just got to move. It's actually interesting. There's been a lot of studies on the effects of music on the brain. And now that we have things like MRIs, we can scan our brains and see what's happening in our brain as we, as we hear music. And so this is so interesting because now science allows us just a little another piece of evidence to confirm what God has already told us. Check this out. Singing joyful songs to God fills you with joy. Neurological brain scans show that we're hardwired to react emotionally to a piece of music. This isn't something we have to learn. That babies as young as five months old react to happy songs. And by nine months, they recognize and react to sad songs. Researchers at Cal State University found that hospitalized children were happier during music therapy with instruments than they were during play therapy with toys. Music helps patients suffering from depression and lowers levels of anxiety and loneliness in the elderly. Here's another thing. Singing to God brings peace to your heart and calms your fears. Music has been found to lower anxiety in patients before surgery more than anti-anxiety medication. And then music has been shown to boost the immune system of patients after surgeries and lower the stress in pregnant women and decrease blood pressure and heart rates in cardiac patients. This is all truth that we would also get from Scripture if we read through books like the Psalms. Worship is so good, and worshiping God feels good. right? And you need to understand, this is backed up. MRIs show that happy music... Just generally speak, even happy music it activates the reward centers of your brain, releasing the chemical dopamine so that music gives us the same hit of happiness that we would get from chocolate or drugs or sex. That's why worshiping feels good. You're like, it doesn't feel that good. But still, like, psychologically, it's amazing, right? The enemy who wants to attack you spiritually, right? He wants you to feel all alone. That's one of his greatest strategies is to make you feel alone. But worshiping reminds you that you're not alone. Scientists found that live music is the most potent happiness trigger because it forges social bonds. That when you get in a room with people who care about the same thing you care about, it increases happiness even more because it makes you feel like you're part of a community. Now, what was so interesting is that as I read some of these studies, some of the scientists were confused that music has this effect on us as human beings because they're looking at it as a strictly uh, from an evolutionary perspective. And they're saying, well, I can't understand why all these biological benefits come from music, something that seems to have no biological value. And I understand why they would think that, but I would say maybe it's not a biological value necessarily that God was after. Maybe first and foremost, he knew that singing praise and worship to him had spiritual value. And so he hardwired us and designed us 
to feel good and to enjoy worshiping him. He made us so that as we worshiped him, it would boost our mood and increase our happiness. Isn't that incredible that God loved you so much? He built a system to pull you up out of despair and depression. In Luke chapter 10, verse 27, it says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment. Worshiping God with passionate singing and expression is one of the few ways you can actually do this. So I think about loving God with all my mind. I'm an analytical guy. And so when I think about loving him with my mind, you know, what comes, to, what comes to my mind is, is intellectually loving him and, and growing in my understanding of him and, and my knowledge of who he is. I want to I think about God properly that honors him and it shows him love. And that actually even plays into the way that we worship God during our time of singing. I want all of the songs we sing to be true and correct biblically. That's why maybe it's a little behind the scenes info for you. Anytime that we introduce a new song of worship to our church, because Psalm says sing a new song to the Lord. That's why we don't just sing the same five songs again and again and again your whole life. Thank God, right? So before we introduce a new song, I go through the lyrics very carefully to check them and make sure that they're doctrinally correct. And I'm very picky about this. I'm looking for this. This, The songs that we sing, they have to be accurate scripturally. They have to be God-focused. They need to be clear because some songs are just very ambiguous and you're not really sure if you're singing about your boyfriend or Jesus, right? So they gotta be be clear and they gotta be appropriate for corporate worship for all of us. There are some songs that are worship songs that I've heard other churches sing that I like personally. I, I might even listen to them in private, but I've decided, you know, these are not appropriate for corporate worship. They need to be clear. They need to be accurate. My goal as a pastor is that you could come into this church not knowing anything about God and just read the lyrics of the songs we sing and that by just reading the lyrics, you would learn how to experience new life in Jesus and live in the victory that he has for you. And that's why so often there are people who, even while we're singing, without anyone even saying anything to them, they make the decision to give their life to Jesus. But did you know that worship allows you to literally love God with all your mind? Singing activates massive neural networks in your brain and activates the left and right side of your brain. The part of your brain that controls emotion, movement, creativity, and memory are all firing at once when you sing. And see, this is like really interesting, this scientific backing for what God has already told us is beneficial to us. This is not some hippie, artsy, fartsy stuff I'm talking about up here. I'm not trying to sell you essential oils right now. This is neurological science. So knowing all of this, what science says, what God says, what do you think happens when you sing praise to God? It does something so powerful in your heart and in your soul. Singing to God in worship is like taking your soul to school for an education, then to the gym for a workout, then taking your soul to Six Flags for a day of fun, 
followed by a day at the spa for rest and relaxation. It's so good for you. It is so good for you. So listen, if you're a Christian, don't come to church and watch other people sing and praise God. You want to participate in that. If you just watch other people do it, you are missing out on so many emotional and spiritual and physical benefits. Don't miss out. Isn't it crazy? God designed you to worship him, that doing so will bless him, but it'll also bless you. It'll bless you. So I kind of touched on the scientific and spiritual reasons why we worship. Let me talk a little bit about the how and the why. First, I want you to know this. It's good to express passion in worship. A couple of weeks ago, I went on vacation to a tropical destination and I was walking by a pool and, you know, there were some people having a great time in the pool. They were partying. They were drinking beverages from the swim up bar and music was playing in the pool area. And I'm happened to be walking into my I was walking to my room at the time. I'm looking over these people having a great time. They're celebrating. Woo woo. And they're like, I love rock and roll. So put another dime in the jewel. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, you get some. And then, you know what I thought to myself? I thought, it looks like those people love rock and roll more than some of the Christians I know look like they love Jesus. Right? What is sadder than Christians who truly love God, truly love God down in their heart, who feel passionately uh, that they love him, that they're grateful, and then they don't express it. Sometimes as a pastor during worship, I look around the room. That's my pastoral privilege. I get to do that. I get to take the spiritual temperature of the room. And it always confuses me when I see people who I know love God standing there still like a wax statue. I'm thinking, are we playing freeze tag right now and I didn't know about it? What is happening? You know that everything we do communicates. Even your silence communicates, can it? Like nonverbal cues communicate so much. Think about this. Imagine if I told my wife for the first time, I love you. I remember when I did. I remember I told her, hey, girl, I love you. I'm going to marry you. You're so fine. What if, she just, what if she just looked at me with a blank-faced stare? Like, now, when I actually told her, she was overwhelmed with, with concern. She was actually really happy that I finally said it back, you know. Just kidding. I said it first. I said it first. I said it first. But I just said, you, you know how that would feel. Like if you told someone I love you and they just looked at you. I mean, that would be sad. Unrequited love is so sad. So I, I ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer, what do your nonverbals communicate about how you feel towards God? I'm saying this. If you love God down in your heart, please inform your face. That you, lo- that you love him, right? Because like, some people, I think they forget. I think they forget. So t- some people ask me questions about worship, and I want to be really practical and just explain so that if you don't know, I want you to know. People ask me sometimes, like, if they can do different things, and that's a common question. Like, what can you do? What can you not do? First, what can you not do? People have asked me, so, Pastor Ryan, I'm, a, I'm passionate I want to express it. Can I dance down the aisle? Can I, can I ballerina dance up the aisle? And I'm like, no. No, you cannot. 
Don't be weird, right? And here's the thing, guys. God is not weird. People are weird, right? So, I, I, hey, there's nothing wrong with dancing before God. That happened in the Bible, but you can do that in your living room, okay? Knock yourself out. I don't think we want people coming to church for the first time, and then Susie's like ballerina kicking past them during work. Like, whoa, whoa, right? I've had people ask me very sincerely, very sweet hearts. They've said, can I bring my flags and wave my flags during worship? Because it's a way that I love to express my passion towards God. These flags are so pretty, very beautiful colors. And I'm just going to kind of, you know, do one of these things, like the flag team at a football game. And I've said, no, no, you may not. Thank you for asking. Because I don't want your flag whipping me in the face while I'm trying to worship Jesus and neither does anybody else. I've had people ask me, Pastor Ryan, can I bring my tambourine and get my groove on? Chicka, 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 chicka. And I've said, no, because you're white and you have no rhythm. And so just be considerate. We have, a, we have a no instruments except for on the stage policy, right? We can't have people just coming in, plugging in their own electric guitars out in their chairs. Just worshiping out here, right? Like, just needs to be a little bit more orderly than that. And so general rule of thumb when you're thinking about, well, what can I not do? Just, just being general, all right? Don't do something that would draw unnecessary attention to yourself. Be unnecessarily distracting, right? And I also want to encourage you in this church, we're always going to have people coming in here who maybe they just gave their life to Christ. Maybe they don't know better. Maybe they haven't been taught about this issue, and they might do something that is strange or a little bit out of order, okay? Just be emotionally and spiritually mature enough to know that that person doesn't know better and to have some grace for that person and to know that if there's a problem that the leaders in our church, we will deal with it and we'll teach those people, okay? So we need to all be spiritually mature enough to handle those kinds of moments that anytime we get people together, People do weird stuff sometimes. So like, we just got to know that. That's part of being with people and we can deal with that. So what should you do? What should you do? Based on the precedent of scripture, it's good to sing, clap, shout, move, and raise your hands and worship. Right? We can do that. We can sing. We can shout. Like it says this, Psalms 47.1. For the choir director, a psalm of the descendants of Korah, Come, everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. This is where they got this in the cha-cha slide. Everybody clap your hands. Cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. Right? Like, they stole it from the Bible. Psalms 134, verse 2 says, Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. In the Bible, all throughout the whole Bible, lifting your hands towards someone was a way of communicating and expressing blessing towards that person. This happens all throughout the Old Testament. Jesus did it right before he ascended into heaven. The Bible says he lifted his hands towards his disciples and blessed them. So when you lift your hands to God, you're blessing God. It says in Psalm 63, verse 4, it says to God, So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. So people will ask, when should I lift my hands? I, I want to be really practical. I love to explain things. Why not? Is there a quota? You know, like, do I need to do it once per song? Can I go beyond that? People are so confused about this. They think, like, is that an advanced Christian maneuver? Do I have to go through a class to learn the technique? You know, how high to go, what angle is proper? 
You can, you can raise your hands in worship anytime you want. You can lift your hands to God even during the middle of a message if you want. Anytime that, that you sing something or, or hear something that is good, that reminds you of your victory, that encourages you. Anytime you sing something that you're like, I identify with that. Anytime you declare something to God and you're like, God, you are good, right? It's appropriate and it makes sense and it's acceptable just to lift your hands and praise to God. Some people, though, they, they get really weirded out by this. And but, man, this hands thing, lifting your hands in church, that's so, that's so weird. You guys are so weird. But is it, though? Is it really? Let me show you some pictures. Check out these pictures. This first picture um, coming up any moment. There we go. Okay, now, now this is, must be a guy during a worship service, right? Or is it? This is a Manchester United soccer fan celebrating his team's victory. Check out this next picture. This must be a life group, right? <laughs> Passionately celebrating their life in Christ. This is actually a bunch of coworkers who joined a lottery pool together and they all won a couple thousand dollars. And look at this next picture. Obviously, a K-Love concert or something. They must be worshiping, being led by Chris Tomlin and all the hits. Or is it a U2 concert? Is it so weird to lift your hands in victory and celebration? I would say no. That is how we are wired as human beings. Right? How many of you know, how many of you know these lyrics? You make me want to shout. Lift my hands up and shout. Right? I like it when you call me Big Papa, so throw your hands in the air if you're a true player. Or how about this one? How about this one? All I do is win, 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 no matter what. And every time I step into the building, everybody's hands go up and they stay there. This is how humans celebrate victory. We were hardwired to do this. So is it weird to raise your hands to God? Is it weird to clap? Is it weird to shout about something you're excited about? No, if you actually believe what the Bible says and you have placed your faith in Jesus, it would be weird not to do these things. And maybe you're sitting here right now and you're like, well, I don't believe any of that. Well, you need to know you're still a worshiper. Everyone worships. The question is, what do you worship or who do you worship? Do you worship your sports team? Because I see a lot of hands raised at the Cardinals game. Do you worship money? Do you worship celebrities? As a Christian, we all worship the one who actually truly deserves to be worshiped. We lift our hands in victory, celebrating the victory we have over sin and death that has been bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. We are the ones who actually should worship more than anyone else and before anyone else. Now, the enemy is a liar, devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him. He's a liar. His name means liar and accuser, and he will try to lie to you. He will seek to accuse you when it comes to worshiping God. And I want you to know about some of his strategies. Our band's coming back. We're about to go back into a, a little time of worship. The enemy will come and he'll try to accuse you. And he'll say things like, well, this is all too weird. Uh, you don't have a good voice, so you shouldn't sing. 
He'll say things like, well, you've sinned too much. I know what you did this week. He'll say, well, what would people think if you act like that? If, you, if you're passionate and you sing, you know, what would your spouse think about you? He'll appeal to your pride. He'll say, you know, you're too cool for this. You, you don't do that. You're too dignified. Or he'll appeal to your pride on the other side and he'll say, you're, you're only doing this because you want to impress other people. Like when I was a younger man, I used to get so in my head and blocked by different things like the different lies and accusations like this when I, it was time to worship God. And I'd be like, oh, I'm only doing this because the pastor wants me to do it. So I'm not going to do it because I'm not going to just do what people want me to do. Right. We all we sometimes we struggle. There's different roadblocks in front of us spiritually that that will prevent us from worshiping God the way that we should. Sometimes it's, it's hard to get into the groove right? And you come into church, you've had a really tough week. Your kids were, were causing all kinds of problems in the car, even maybe when you're driving to church and you're in the car with your spouse yelling at each other, swearing at each other. I don't even know, right? But like you're having a hard time, you come into church and you're like, well, how am I going to now transition from that chaos into singing to God? The enemy wants to prevent you from worshiping him. Maybe you don't feel that into it. But I think when we think about the different things that God has done for us, it helps us to worship even when we don't feel like it, right? Because there, there are going to be times you don't feel like it. There are going to be times that you're distracted and you're thinking about different things. Listen, I, I've sat in the back of the room. I'm glad you're here. But I, when I sat in the back of the room, I noticed how easy it is to feel disconnected from the people worshiping God in front of you. It's very easy when you're in the back to be like, well, I'm, just I'm, just, I'm not going to participate. I'm just watching those people up there worship. And, and you can get distracted by the people who are sitting around you. Well, they're not worshiping, so I don't want to be the only one in my section who does it. Some mom's got her baby in here, like burping in front of your face, right? And you're like, man, I can't, I can't even get in the, in the zone right now. I think that even when we don't feel like it, we can worship God. Even if God loves us, and he's gonna sing songs of deliverance and love about us. And he wants us to sing our love to him. I think considering, considering what he's done for us, that we can sing, we can work. It's not like he's asking us to die on a cross or anything, since he already did that. He just wants us to express our love and our passion to him. So maybe you're, maybe you're gonna go into this next time of worship, and maybe you're gonna feel like it's a struggle, maybe it's gonna seem difficult for you. Even if you're not feeling it, here's the question to ask yourself, and this is the only question that matters. Does God still deserve my praise? Even when I'm having a hard week, does God still deserve my praise? Even when I'm going through a difficult time, does God still deserve my praise? When I've been distracted and my kids are driving me, does God still deserve my praise? If he's still on the throne, if Jesus is still alive, if you've still been forgiven from your sins, if you've still been adopted into God's family and he hasn't kicked you out yet, if you still know I'm gonna be in heaven for all eternity with Jesus, then the answer is yes. God still deserves my praise despite the circumstances in my life. And you can know that and allow that to fuel your passion as you choose to worship. Because worship is a choice. 
It's not an involuntary reaction to your emotions. It's a choice. And it's incredible how when you choose to worship, your heart and your spirit and your emotions will align behind that. It's kind of the way that you choose to work out before you get a six pack, right? It's something that you choose to do. And you might feel awkward when you first start the same way you feel awkward when you do a lot of things when you first start. But the more you do it, the more comfortable you begin to feel. And the more natural it becomes, I want you to learn how to worship. You need to know how. I want you to learn how to worship in here so you'll be able to stand for God out there. You've got to learn how to worship surrounded by your church family so that you'll be able to worship God when you're surrounded by the enemy. You've got to know. It's such an important battle that we're in and and you need to know this secret weapon. This isn't something that we do to impress other people. It's something that is, is in our heart that we're expressing to God. And that's what truly matters, what's in our heart. Why don't we just stand to our feet right now as we get ready to go back into this time of worship. I just wanna invite you to join into this. And I want you to understand this is about stepping into a lifestyle of worship. Maybe for some of you, this is helping you understand something that you've been confused about for a while. Or maybe it's giving you a fresh perspective. But let's, let's go into a time of worship. I think about what it says in Lamentations 3, 41. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven, right? When we lift our hearts, we lift our, when we lift our hands, we lift our hearts. One of the things Pastor Aaron has said, I love. And that's why when we sing to God, it's really about lifting our hearts to God, saying, God, I love you. So let's do that right now. We've talked about how, we've talked about why. Let's put aside distractions and fears and let's give God the worship that he deserves.